Take the word of God and turn with me to the book of Acts in chapter 25. As you turn there in chapter uh, 25, we are walking with Paul in his imprisonment in the last chapters of the book of Acts. The Jews uh, made, if you remember, had made an attempt to kill Paul after they drove him out of the temple, made accusation against him. They were in the process of beating him. And then the uh, chief captain intervened and saved uh, the life of Paul from the mob. Uh, The Jews then uh, brought false accusation against Paul. Uh, By the way, they did so without proof and without witnesses. It's interesting in the last few chapters he's repeated that. There are no witnesses and there is no proof. Uh, We would say, case closed. No, not case closed. Uh, The result, as we saw, is that... If you remember, Governor Felix in chapter 24 left Paul bound for two years. He could not, I guess, work it out, and so he left Paul bound. If you notice back with me in the last verse of chapter 24, but after two years, Perseus Festus came into Felix's room, and Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. So I said, Festus, Felix. He had dealt with, he was the governor in chapter 25. Festus is going to be new, the new governor coming in the stead of Felix. And so Felix basically, just out of desire to please the Jews, left Paul bound for two years. And there was no witnesses, there was no proof of any crime that he had committed. And yet he is suffering from a true injustice. A true injustice. We're going to read what happens here in just a moment in chapter 25. And then what I want to do is I want to look at the words of Paul and how he looks at his imprisonment. You know, you can have one thing happen to you, but you can have different perspectives as to what is happening to you. And Paul, in his New Testament epistles, in his imprisonment, he often references the onlookers and how they look at Paul's imprisonment, but then he speaks of his own imprisonment and how does he refer to his own imprisonment. And you'll find that those are different. And so I believe it is helpful to us to consider Paul's perspective as we continue to read about all this injustice. You know, there's, the book of Acts has been packed with action and really we're slowing down here quite a bit and looking at very the details of the courtroom and what's going on uh, in, uh, in the life of Paul in those closing chapters of Acts. So notice Acts chapter 25, if you stand with me, we're going to read verse 1 down to verse 12. So Acts chapter 25, let's begin reading in verse 1. And the Word of God says, Now when Festus was come into the province, after three days he ascended from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Then the high priest and the chief of the Jews informed him against Paul and besought him, and desired favor against him that he would send for him to Jerusalem, laying wait in the way to kill him. But Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea, and that he himself would depart shortly thither. Let them therefore, said he, which among you are able, go down with me and accuse this man, if there be any wickedness in him. And when he had tarried among them more than ten days, he went down unto Caesarea, and the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, commanded Paul to be brought. 
And when he was come, the Jews which came down from Jerusalem stood round about, and laid many and grievous complaints against Paul which they could not prove. While he answered for himself, neither against the law of the Jews, neither against the temple, nor yet against Caesar have I offended anything at all. But Festus, willing to do the Jews a pleasure, answered Paul and said, Will thou go up to Jerusalem, and there be judged of these things before me? Then said Paul, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat, where I ought to be judged. To the Jews have I done no wrong, as thou very well knowest. For if I be an offender, or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. But if there be none of these things whereof these accuse me, no man may deliver me unto them, I appeal unto Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, Hast thou appealed to Caesar? Unto Caesar shalt thou go. I want to bring your attention to the last verse of the chapter. We'll skip over to the last verse. Notice the last verse. For it seemeth to me unreasonable to send a prisoner, and not withal to signify the crimes laid against him. Now, Felix is basically saying, he's appealed to Caesar, I'm going to send him to Caesar, I have nothing to write. (laughs) He's done no crimes. So I want to preach this morning on no crimes against him. No crimes against him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Lord, help us to draw some encouragement from those difficult circumstances. And Lord, help us as we think about this account to uh, place ourselves in those circumstances and perceive the difficulty of those circumstances and how Paul handled himself. Lord, we also often come to times in our lives when it is imperative that we handle ourselves in a godly manner. So help us to look at the example of Paul that we might learn some things that might help us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we've seen over the last few chapters, there have been no crimes against Paul, at least no crimes that have been provable, neither any crimes where a witness could stand against uh, Paul and mention the crimes that he committed. If you remember back in chapter 24, they actually hired a man, Tertullius, to Uh, deliver uh, some eloquent and to pump up Felix and to try to uh, sway him against Paul. And and so if you think about the scene in chapter 25, there is no justice. Uh, We might say it's all politics. It's all politics, isn't it? Continually over the last few chapters, the Bible keeps referencing that the governor was trying to please the Jews But yet he knows that Paul has done nothing wrong, and so there's a struggle in the life of both Felix and Festus of doing what's according to the law, but yet trying to please the Jews. Be a people pleaser. Uh, By the way, the Bible says very clearly that the fear of man bringeth a snare. If we live our lives by the fear of men, we are going to find ourselves in a bad place every day single time we must fear the Lord, not man. As we look here at this account, uh, allow me to paint the scene for us as we consider the three parties that are involved in this chapter. 
And let me ascribe something to each one of those parties. The first, we see basically a judge, uh, and that's um, a reference to Festus, who is the governor who stands as the judge. They didn't have a, a courtroom in the sense that we have it today. Uh, those who were appointed governors would basically be the judges. And uh, we see here a judge struggling between the law and politics. That's what we see here in this chapter. Then the second party, or the second group of people, we might say we see a prosecution that is motivated with a personal vendetta. He's done absolutely no harm to the Jews, but yet they accuse of harm being done against him. And by the way, we come to chapter 25, it's been two years. They're still not over it. That's a personal vendetta. He's done no harm to the Jews, but they are acting like he is. And so uh, the prosecution is motivated with a personal vendetta. But then we see a defense that has both the truth and the law on its side. Let's examine, first of all, the judge that is struggling between the law and politics. Uh, as we are aware, in verse 1, we see that uh, Festus was newly appointed. Uh, Felix was the governor who, was, who did the trial of Paul originally, and Felix, willing to please the Jews, left Paul bound. And so he basically had forgotten about Paul. By the way, the Jews were fine with Paul being pleased, but now Festus comes on the scene, and he is the newly appointed leader. He was no doubt appointed by either Caesar himself, Caesar Augustus himself, or by the Roman Senate in Rome. Uh, these were the ones who usually appointed those governors. And in that new appointment, the Jews are looking at this as uh, an opportunity to try to influence Festus against Paul. It didn't work with Felix. Felix came to a standstill. And now Festus is the governor, and he has been newly appointed. And so as the newly appointed leader in Caesarea, we also learn in verse 4 through 5 that he was familiar with the law. When the Jews in the text, they asked Festus a favor of him. Now notice the favor was actually a conspiracy against Paul. They asked Festus to do something illegal. They asked Festus to send Paul on the way to Jerusalem to be tried by them so that they might kill him. And they tried to get Festus to cooperate with that. Now it is verse 4 and 5. But Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea, and that he himself would depart shortly thither. Let them therefore, said he, which among you are able, go down with me and accuse this man, if there be any wickedness in him. And so Festus knew the law. It was not legal for Paul to be sent and to be tried under the Sanhedrin council. It was according to the law as a Roman citizen that he be tried in Caesarea. And so Festus knew the law. He says, I'm not coming down and sending him down to Jerusalem or up. I guess it was up on a hill. But he is supposed to, you're supposed to come and send your emissaries, the accusers, in Caesarea to accuse Paul. And so he was newly appointed. He was familiar with the law. But we also see that he was interested in being favorably looked upon. Notice in verse 9, we read this a moment ago, the Bible says, But Festus, willing to do the Jews a pleasure, answered Paul and said, Wilt thou go up to Jerusalem, and there be judged of these things before me? Now, notice here, here is the mindset of Festus. He is interested in being favorably looked upon. Now, the Jews, when we're referring to the Jews here, is the high priest, and you could say the Jewish religious leaders of the day, the most powerful people in that area of the world. And often they would cooperate between 
the Sanhedrin council and the Roman authority, and they would go back and forth. And so Festus, he, he, he's a new leader in the area. He wants the favor of the Jews. And notice now he is tending to be favorable towards the Jews before there is any trial. Before there is anything, any decision that is made, and if he is in that case, uh, by the way, if you make a judgment because you want to favor someone, your judgment is going to be skewed. It's not going to be according to justice. The Bible says here that he even tries to play both sides. Notice verse 9. Wilt thou go up to Jerusalem and there be judged of these things before me? Notice Festus is trying to play both sides. He knows legally he can't send Paul to Jerusalem to be tried under the Sanhedrin council. And so he is not telling Paul to do that, but he is asking if Paul would do it. You see, he's asking the question of Paul. Wilt thou go up to Jerusalem and there be judged of these things before me? So notice, he's trying to break both sides. He's not trying to violate the law, but also he's trying to please the Jews. And so maybe by just asking a question of Paul, maybe he will decide himself so that he is off the hook. You see, he's trying to play both sides. Trying to get what the Jews want, but trying not to go against the law. By the way, if he went against the law and it came back to the Caesar or it came back to the Roman Senate, he would be plucked out of his appointment. Uh, they did that very quickly. Anytime that they didn't force the law. That was, by the way, the Roman Empire, that's what they were mainly concerned about. That's why you remember when Paul was accused, he was accused of sedition. Because that was the greatest concern of the Romans. Those who did not abide by the law. And so as soon as the governor did not abide by the law, he was immediately removed. So he's trying to play both sides. But we see in verse 12, Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, Hast thou appealed unto Caesar? Unto Caesar uh, shalt thou go. Um, I would put it this way here. Uh, Festus was not willing to be the bad guy. Do you notice here, uh, when Paul appears to Caesar, Festus, the Bible says, he had conferred with the council. Doesn't he know that when a Roman uh, citizen appeals to Caesar, he is sent to Rome? Of course he knows. But you see what he does? The Jews are there, and he's trying to please them. But at the same time, he's not trying to do something unlawful, and so he pretends to confer with the council. Well, let me talk to those people over here, the smart people over here, uh, the experts, <laughs> as we would put it. Uh, let, let me talk to the experts. Then he comes back. Well, the experts have said that I, I must send Paul to Caesar. Well, what is that? Well, he's not willing to be the bad guy. So we see a judge here struggling between the law and politics. Now let's take a look at the prosecution that was motivated uh, with a personal vendetta against Paul. Verse 1 and 2, we see as Festus comes on the scene, he is the governor of the province. Notice, the Bible says, after three days, he ascended from Caesarea to Jerusalem. And so this would be, by the way, typical for a governor to go around the different places to get to know the people, the people in positions of authority, and so on. And then immediately, what the first thing that is addressed, now you would think that there are many things uh, as being uh, those who are in power, there'd be many things to talk about. Maybe the roads, those who are being robbed on the roads, on the way from Jerusalem to Caesarea. I mean, there's all kinds of things that you can talk about, but notice what they talk about. This is their number one concern. This is number one on their agenda. Then the high priest and the chief of the Jews informed him against Paul and besought him. Verse 2. So notice here, we clearly see that there is a personal vendetta. Out of all the things they want, it's not even less taxes. 
they have something against Paul. And that's what they bring up. Their timing, what I'm saying here is that their timing was purposeful. They wanted to get to Festus immediately. They didn't want to wait. They wanted to exert their influence because they knew that there is politics involved and Festus is going to try to gain favor with us and we're trying to gain favor with him and so they're playing the game. So their timing was purposeful but we also see that their intent was nefarious in verse 3. Here's what they desire. They desired favor against him that he would send for him to Jerusalem so that Festus would send for Paul to go from Caesarea to Jerusalem, laying wait in the way to kill him. So here's the favor that they're asking. They're asking that Festus, basically it's a conspiracy against Paul. By the way, this is not the first time. They already tried that. They tried it when they kicked him out of the temple. They were beating him. They, the, they planned on killing him. When he was first in prison and Felix was there, they, they, they plotted, and the chief uh, captain heard of it, they plotted to as uh, he would send Paul to the Sanhedrin council, that they would have 40 men waiting to beat him and to kill him. So, it's been, by the way, it's been two years. They're not over it. That's what you refer to as a personal vendetta. That's the motivation. It's not about the law. It's not about justice. It's about a uh, nefarious intent against Paul. And so this is a conspiracy again. But notice verse 7, we see their complaint was also without substance. Notice verse 7. When they, everybody is assembled, and when he was come, the Jews which came down from Jerusalem stood round about, and laid many and grievous complaints against Paul, here it is, which they could not prove. Now that's just a statement of the Bible. But think about it, it's a courtroom setting. So they try to go about it. Here's the accusation. Here's what Paul has done. And here's what he's done. And, and so then probably Festus at some point would say, well, where's the proof? Well, well, they would no doubt do what maybe a lawyer does. He's trying to gather himself together and try to say, well, what, what, what can we say? Uh, and so the complaint here against Paul is, is without substance. Without substance. I might refer to the prosecution as their, their busybodies. Their timing is purposeful. Their intent was nefarious. They're not seeking for the good. They're not seeking for justice. They're not seeking for what is lawful. And their complaint was without substance. But then we see Paul. And what is interesting here is, as we've already noted, that Paul is a Roman citizen and if you notice here, when we look at him defending himself in verse 8, the Bible says, While he answered for himself neither against the law of the Jews, neither against the temple, nor yet against Caesar, have I offended anything at all. And so here's what Paul did. He simply maintained his innocence. I've done nothing wrong. Notice he also desired to have a fair trial. Uh, when Festus asked if, would you go on your own volition to Jerusalem to be tried by the Sanhedrin Council? By the way, I'll be there. I'll sit there and I'll observe the proceedings. That Paul replies to that in verse 10. He says, then Paul said, uh, then said Paul, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm a Roman citizen. This is where I ought to be judged. Where I ought to be judged to the Jews have I done no wrong. And here's what he says. 
as thou very well knowest. And so here, here's all that Paul wants. Paul desired to have a fair trial. That's it. He knows if he goes to Jerusalem, he's not going to have a fair trial. And he knows that Festus knows that if he goes to Jerusalem, he's not going to have a fair trial. He says, as thou knowest, you know this. This is going to be unfair. They have a nefarious intent against me. But at the same time, he demonstrated his submission to the law. Notice what he says in verse 11. For if I be an offender or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. Now that's a, the same in like, I refuse. What does that mean? We think, I refuse. What he is saying is, notice, if I be an offender, in other words, if I have violated the law or have committed anything worthy of death, so if I violated the law, and then the law basically states that if, let's say, I was um, guilty of sedition, that under the Roman law, I would be put to death. He says, if that is the case, I refuse not to die. I'm willing to die if I have done those crimes. I am willing to be prosecuted under the law, and I am willing to bear the punishment of the law. I have nothing against the law, is what he's saying. But if there be none of these things whereof they accuse me, no man may deliver me unto them. I appeal to Caesar. So here he says, he's sensing that Festus wants to <laughs> uh, get rid of him and deal with, just get over the situation. And what Paul is saying here is he's demonstrated uh, submission to the law, but he also is discerning the likely outcome if he goes to Jerusalem. And so he says, notice, no man may deliver me unto them. So basically he says, Festus, if you send me to Jerusalem, that is illegal. That's basically what he's saying. That it, you cannot do that. You do not have the authority to do that. Here's the wonderful thing about the law. In the, 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 the law was final. Festus did not have permission to operate outside the boundaries of the law. He did not. He knew what the outcome would be. So, Festus grants this. Now, as we proceed in our text, we have the entrance of King Agrippa, and then we see in chapter 26, we'll see later, uh, that Paul is going to appear before King Agrippa. But notice in verse 13, And after certain days, King Agrippa and Ber Bernice came unto Caesarea to salute Festus. And when they had been there many days, Festus declared Paul's cause unto the king, saying, There is a certain man left in bonds by Felix. Now, just so you know, out of all the affairs in the regions, this is the, what Festus brings up. So you can imagine the intensity of the Jews in prosecuting Paul and accusing Paul that this was, he's, he discerned that this is the main issue in the land, basically. Can you imagine? Just because Paul has been preaching the gospel, this is the main issue in the land. The main topic that is brought up. Paul. He says, verse 15, About whom, when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews informed me, desiring to have, uh, have judgment against him, to whom I answered, It is not the manner of the Romans to deliver any man to die. Before that, now, he says, the, the law of the Jews, in other words, it was not his choice to surrender Paul to the Jews. The consequences of blasphemy and the temple and speaking against Moses was stoning. So he says, if I let 
Paul be judged under the Jewish law, then he's going to die, be thrown under their law, under the Jewish law. And so he says, I, I know that I, I don't have the ability to do that. That's against the law. Before that which is accused have the accusers face to face and have license to answer for himself concerning the crime laid against him. Therefore, verse 17, when they were come thither without any delay on the morrow, I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the man to be, uh, to be brought forth. And he rehearses basically the scene that just happened that we just read and we just studied. So then notice what happens, verse 22. Then Agrippa said unto Festus, I would also hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, uh, thou shalt hear him. And on the morrow, when Agrippa was come, and Bernice with great pomp, and was in, in, entered into the place of hearing with the chief captain and principal men of the city at Festus' commandment, Paul was brought forth. And Festus said, King Agrippa, and all men which are here present with us, we see this man about whom all the multitude of the Jews have dealt with me, both at Jerusalem and also here, crying that he ought to live, not to live any longer. So here's the intent. They want to kill him. If the Romans are not going to do it, we are going to do it. So this is the announcement. But when, verse 25, I found that he had committed nothing worthy of death, and that he himself had appealed to Augustus, that's uh, Caesar, that's Augustus Caesar, I have determined to send him, that's to Caesar, of whom I have no certain thing to write unto my Lord, wherefore I have brought him forth before you, and specially before thee, O King Agrippa, that after examination uh, had, I might have someone to write. So here is the dilemma for Festus. You don't send anybody to Caesar without a paper that states the crime that he committed. Or, you could say, without stating the prosecution. In other words, Festus says, I can't really send... That's the dilemma of King Agrippa. I cannot send Paul to Caesar because I have nothing to write. He has committed no crimes that are worthy of death. The Jews want him to die, but there's no crimes that he's committed that are worthy of death. And so I need something to write. And so King Agrippa said, well, I'll hear him, and maybe we can figure out what we can write so that then we can send him forth to Caesar. He says, verse 27, For it seemeth to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not withal to signify the crimes laid against him. So basically, there are no crimes against Paul. How would you like to be in that position? Here's the judge, struggling between the law and politics, obviously leaning towards the politics, a prosecution that is motivated by a personal vendetta that the only thing they want for Paul is his death. And he is innocent, has done nothing wrong. How encouraged would you be? How happy would you be with your circumstances? Could I bring your attention to what Paul said? Turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy and chapter 2. I want you to notice with me 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. By the way, it's interesting. I spent some time preparing for this message to study those New Testament epistles that Paul wrote. The majority of them were while he was in prison, and he keeps referring to his imprisonment and his bonds. And it's interesting when you study how he refers to that. It's very interesting. It gives us insight into his perspective about his bonds. 
We stand there and say, it's unfair. He's being mistreated. It's unjust. Notice 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. By the way, he's in prison. He says, all right, I might not never be released, but you have to keep this thing going, Timothy. This does not stop with me. This is not a depressed man. This is a man who sees that he has received something from God. He's passed that on to Timothy, and he wants Timothy to pass it on to faithful men who in turn would be able to teach others also. In other words, the work of God is going to go on even though Paul is stopped. That's his heart. He's not depressed. Oh, I can't serve God anymore. No, he has invested his life into the truth, and he wants the truth to continue to be propagated. Verse 3, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Do you think that Paul speaks from authority when he says that? Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. There is a fight going on, Timothy. And you're going to be dealt most likely injustice. You're going to be accused as the pastor in Ephesus, no doubt. Somebody are going to accuse you. Verse 4, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him uh, who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, uh, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully? The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from from the dead, according to my gospel, wherein, here it is, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds. Now, notice, he, he brought up the gospel And he says that I've been preaching the gospel and I am suffering trouble because I've been preaching the gospel. Notice, I'm even suffering as an evildoer. Well, what's what's an evildoer? Well, an evildoer would somebody who under the law would be tried for their crimes, found guilty, and judged according to the law. And he has done no crimes, but yet he is being treated as an evildoer. By the way, just like Jesus Christ was. The picture is seen, you remember, with Jesus Christ and Barabbas? The man who had committed crimes was released. The man who was innocent was crucified. That is completely unjust. Suffering wrongfully as an evildoer. Notice, even on Tabat, so he's referring to now his imprisonment. He goes back to whose... Uh, uh, What do I attribute it to? What do I attribute it to? Notice nowhere in those epistles will you find Paul saying, well, if only Festus got it right. If only these Jews weren't so hateful against me, then I could live my life like I ought to live my life. He never says that in any of the epistles. He never blames Felix. He never blames Festus. He never blames Agrippa, although they were all wrong. He doesn't even blame the Jews. What does he attribute his bonds to? The preaching of the gospel. Notice with me again. Verse 8. Remember that Jesus Christ, the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffer trouble. As an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Oh, praise the Lord for that. The word of God is not bound. I may be bound 
but I've already preached the gospel. And he just said, right, Timothy, the things that thou hast heard of me, the same commit thou to faithful men, who in turn shall be able to teach others also. So I may be bound, but the word of God is going to continue to go and go and go. And so I'm going, not going to sit there and, and wallow in the mire and depression because I am bound. I'm going to rejoice because I've spoken the truth all those years, and now the truth can continue to move forward. So he says in verse 10, Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sakes, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying, For if we be dead with Him, we shall also live with Him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. As we think about this portion, Paul attributes his imprisonment to the fact that he has faithfully preached the gospel. Now if you hold your place here, turn with me to the book of Ephesians. In the book of Ephesians, this is also a prison epistle. And I want you to notice here, so Paul is a prisoner and um, we might say, okay, he's, he's a prisoner of the Romans. It's the Jews' fault. Uh, it's Festus and Felix and Agrippa and Caesar. It's all their fault. And so I am, I, am, I am their prisoner. No, that's not what Paul says. Notice with me Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of who? Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. I'm not the prisoner of the Romans. I'm not the prisoner of the Jews. I am the prisoner of Jesus Christ. <laughs> the Lord has brought me to this place. But pastor, it was unjust. It was not fair. Does God not know? Can, not, can God not use Paul any longer as a prisoner? By the way, most of the New Testament we have today is because he was imprisoned. Go to chapter 4, verse 1. Notice again. I therefore, the prisoner of who? The Lord. Beseech you that ye walk vo worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Notice chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 20. As he uh, concludes the letter, he says this. For which, uh, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And so here he says, I'm still an ambassador, I'm, but now I'm just an ambassador in bonds. Would it be better for Paul just to be set at liberty and to have the freedom to plant churches and to do what he wanted to do? That was not what God had for him at this point. What I'm saying is that there was a, there was a great purpose to his bonds. A great purpose. To his bonds. Let me take you to one more portion in the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 4. Notice with me in Colossians chapter 4. And uh, notice verse 2. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. With, with all praying also for us. That God would open unto us a door of utterance. To speak the mystery of Christ. For which I am also in bonds. Here's how he's praying, you see. 
pray that God would open a door somehow, even though I'm in bonds, that God would allow me to speak the mystery. By the way, in Philippians, remember, he says that um, what happened unto him, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that the gospel had been preached in the palace. Notice verse 4, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. He says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. I like that. Notice, he's referring to his bonds. He's like, God, I pray that God would open a door for us to speak the mystery of God. Now you remember, remember this. Walk in wisdom towards them that are without. Who's those who are without? Outside of of redemption, those who are, uh, who are not saved. Uh, and uh, why? Because the time is important. We have to redeem the time. He says, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know, uh, know how ye ought to answer every man. You see, Paul, here's what he says. You're going to be dealt injustice. People are going to lie about you. They're going to mistreat you. Guess what? Life is according to the mindset of man, is going to be unfair. But don't let that rob you of Christ-likeness. Don't let that rob you of Christ-likeness. But you see, the flesh does this. An injustice is dealt, and we take that injustice to justify our behavior by saying, because we've been dealt unjustly, Therefore, we behave that way, and we are justified in behaving that way, because after all, the whole situation is unfair. Paul says, you don't have the right to do that as a Christian. You can't do that. Maybe what we need is this, to change our perspective. Remember David when, uh, oh, what was, what was this, the man that was insulting? You know the name. Somebody knows that. What, who is it? Shimei? It was Shimei. They were, they were. Shimmery, it was close, so I got Shimei. I was like, there it is. He was cursing at David. All. Remember, they would say, hey, let me kill him. And David saw it as, no, God is, might be teaching me something through this. Perspective. David had the authority to cut that man's head off and to kill him. But you know what he saw in those circumstances? An opportunity for God to teach him something that he needed to learn. It's Perspective. Now, perspective, here it is, and I'm done. Perspective comes from faith. It has to. You remember in the previous chapter what God said to Paul? No harm will come to you. You will go to Rome. That's what God had told Paul when he was imprisoned. So now Paul has a decision of faith to make. And his perspective, his perspective is based on his faith. And so something happens to us, if we have no faith, then we will act a certain way. And we think that we need to handle things and I need to have my way. And this is unjust. And you know what, I'm just, and here's what often people do. People say, I'm just going to quit on God until God makes things right. Instead of saying, God, you allow this. And there's a purpose. And I pray that you would change my perspective. And by faith, I believe that you want to do a work in my heart through this. We might say that Paul used, used the end ministry to have greater impact and influence than his early ministry. How can I say that? 
If you go today to what was Asia Minor, which is present-day Turkey, you know that all the churches are gone that Paul started? Yeah. Every single one of them. There is not a church that Paul started today that is still in existence, a, a local church in those areas. But guess what? There's churches all over the world. And what do those churches uh, have in common? The Word of God. The chief theologian for the New Testament church is the Apostle Paul. In the New Testament, Paul wrote the majority of it. So I say to you that his time in bonds was of greater influence as we look back at history than his early ministry. His bonds were more impactful than his freedom because of what God did. So let that encourage us. Let's look at our injustice with a different perspective by exercising our faith in the Lord.